Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, a podcast all about living more of your life now, yet being responsible for your future. Lifestyle experimenter, wealth scientist, and financial coach Dustin Service shares life hacks, wealth tips, and interviews successful entrepreneurs on how they're thriving in happiness, purpose, and prosperity. Welcome to the show. I'm here with Jason Williamson, Commercial Account Manager at RBC. Thanks for being on the show today, Jason. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dustin. So uh, what we're going to chat about today, I want to get uh, just... It's not going to be long. I'd like to target like maybe 12 to 15 minutes of, you know, we've got a perfectly good story of, you know, a file. We don't need to talk about the particulars or the people, but uh, what makes a good refinancing situation. Um, you know, I'd love to be able to take this this podcast. Again, the video's not... We don't use the video. We're just using the audio. And someone who's listening, you know, goes, oh, that's me. I got to talk to service and then I refer them, for them to you. So, you know, what I'd love for you to dive into and I, I you know, some podcasts I'll do like, give me your backstory and... Tell me about your dad and how he treated you and your mom and all that. How you, like, but I think for you, we've got a fresh story and we've got a lot. I have lots of business owners. You've got business people that are around that don't even know that they need help. So, you know, for one, what are the key triggers that a person should go, hey, I should review this? I should re- review my commercial financing and maybe, you know, compartmentize building refinancing and operating lines because it's two different beasts, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, what are the key things that people should review or in the file we just worked on, what were the key things that made that file really easy to just sort of get it through? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, absolutely. So the first thing... Um, you know, when should you refi or when should you start to entertain those options? And we see it a lot at times when, uh, you know, they're, they're coming up to maturity. Um, cause as you know, there can be some breakage costs. So when it's coming up to maturity, it's okay to, um, you know, get a second opinion on your rate. Um, there's some financial reporting requirements and some things that you may want to have a look at too, but I would say just to have, you know, your rate is probably the most important thing to have a look at, to be able to see, you know, how fastly I, maybe I could potentially pay off this building. Um, if you need some equity takeout to be able to buy some things within your core, within your company where it's, you know, some long-term assets or you need some to ease some cash flow, that would be a good time to maybe potentially look at maybe taking some equity out of your building or potentially you're looking at, buy, at adding some additional space. So that would be another good reason to be able to look at, you know, maybe doing an equity takeout. And maybe to bring your whole banking relationship to one one place, um, we see that a lot too. When when clients, you know, initially maybe um, buy a business and and they went to maybe a secondary lender or they've had a vendor take back mortgage or something along those lines, where um, when they first came, they had to, you know, ninety percent finance or eighty percent finance, or there were, there was some. Um, unique ways they were able to get approved or be able to get the funding to have that uh, owner-occupied real estate or investment property, whatever it is. Um, so they may be paying at a higher rate at a, at, a, at a different lender. And now they've paid that down enough that they're in a position where you know, they've got the equity or the 
or the value of the building has went up and now they can come into, you know, uh, say RBC, for example, and say, can you have a look at this? I'd like to switch this over. I'd like to have a lower rate and potentially be able to, um, you know, maybe look at some equity takeout, a whole realm of options for the client in those uh, scenarios. And then to add to your, how did this one come together so quickly? And, and it was so seamless, the, the file that we just worked on together. The client was in such a strong position in cash flow, um, and I and I would want to touch on that. Like we're cash flow lenders, um, so cash flow is king. Um, we have to be able to have that debt servicing, you know, that EBITDA to be able to show that we can add this debt to be able to, you know, that the company can just service that debt. Um, so that that company was healthy, that was strong. The loan to value was good. The personal guarantee was good. So it was just a slam dunk, to be honest, and, Dustin. And the. Uh... You know, so again, that scenario just for a backdrop was exactly like you just talked about. Uh, bought a building seven years ago, the client, then life gets busy, gets going, uh, renewal goes by after five years. It just sort of stays in place, not revisited. When we were doing the financial plan, we just kept asking and it just wasn't a priority. And finally, we asked to see the documentation and learned you know, the interest rate was from seven years ago or, you know, not competitive. So that was not a renewal time. So that's, you know, for a lot of people and a lot of financial plans that we work with, it never seems like our financial plan lines up perfectly yeah. with the renewal date. So you're always doing the math and trying to figure out how is it right? So, you know, for somebody that's listening that doesn't have a renewal date coming up, they're three years into a five-year or two years into a five-year, this scenario was that. and. You know, how did that math roughly shake out, or how do you, you know, how do you give a quick calculation on what these penalties or, or like you call them, breakup fees or break? What do you call it? A breakage cost. Yeah. Breakage cost. Okay. So breakage cost is ultimately like a, an interest rate differential. Um, so the one we're talking about was just a, a, a three month interest. Um, so each financial institution, when you when you sign for your term loan mortgage, what have you, will have, you know, in their terms and conditions, what the breakage cost would look like. Um, I have another one going out uh, later next week where breakage cost was involved, um, no different than our our mutual client here. Uh, breakage cost was involved, and we just go and calculate. You know, okay, so there's a small, you know, whatever that breakage cost would be. So let's call it say ten thousand dollars. All we all, all we do is we we go to the client and say, well, for ten thousand dollars, this and and that may be a, a huge pill to swallow up front, but over the life of the loan or over this renewal period, here's the amount that you're going to save. Our mutual client, Dustin, um, you know, we were able to shorten their amortization by keeping their payment the same by all, you know five and a half years. Um, mm -hmm. And five and a half years of payments is significant. Um, when they could take that cash flow and do a lot of other things with it, or maybe just like we said, put it in your pocket and uh, think about those, you know, exiting business succession planning, paid off asset, shorter time frame. Yeah, and that you know. that one would be if you didn't keep the payments the same and you kept, you know, that was a seventeen year AM on the original uh, thing. It was like, you know, on a three thousand dollar payment, it was like. 1800 of savings or you know 1600 a month of savings well for cash flow that's pretty good flexibility so they're going to keep the payments the same pay it off faster but then they could always turn the tap down i guess and go back you know if times got tough or you know so they're still socking it away 
now. Uh, you know, so again, cash flow is king. How do you do like construction businesses or or is are they, you know, or developers where you've got big injections of cash and then you know, maybe sit idle for a few years. Like, are those quite difficult to do, or do you just have different, different? You put different set of glasses on and look at it different. Yeah, totally different set of glasses. It depends on the construction industry. Like, spec home building um, can be very can be difficult unless they're doing a, you know, seven, eight, nine spec home builds a year. Um, we see in our market here in Kelowna, you know, in in the Okanagan area in other markets too, where you have those RU7 lots where people are, you know, putting up multiple homes on a, on a, on a piece of property, um, or they're just demolishing their own. We have to be a little bit conscious of the fact of, well, I don't know what you do away from this, your day to day, your daytime job, Dustin, but, um, you know, me, for example, if I had a piece of property and I'm going to go and demolish it and build that like i don't know what i'm doing um that's why we say we get that seven or eight in that spec home builders because the cost of land cost of lumber by the time it's by the time the project could be done and there could be some cost overruns that's where the banks will get a little bit nervous on that spec home building so we'd like to see a pre-sale or or something to secure that loan um on those spec home builds on those ru7 lots where say they're putting a fourplex up if they sold half that building first um, and then they could maybe hold on to the rest at the end because then they've kind of mitigated some of their risk on the fact of like, okay, we've got a couple set prices. We know where that's at. That's going to cover our home. And then the other part, you know, they can make some more profit on. Um, a lot of the big developers, you know, in those townhome complexes that you see, you know, we like to see the, the pre-sales. That's why they're going out and securing those pre-sales a lot of the time to be able to ensure that the, they've mitigated some of the bank's risk at those times. A lot of the listeners in in our you know sphere are you know I wouldn't say massive developers. I would say the common person is a successful you know kind of entrepreneurially minded person, and they want to buy their their second you know rental house or you know most of them are business owners. So, like, what do you typically say for clients that want to buy property in their operating company? Do you see that very often, or do you oft like? Is is there an advantage to having a holding company that owns you know that you know separate like in you know we have certain opinions on it but I'd love to know sort of what is there a difference with the bank or is just financing and collateral on an asset pretty much the same no matter what company it's in? Um, well, what we do like operating companies where the cash comes from, right? Yeah. Um, lots of times though, like we we don't see it very often where the the client's going to buy um, a property in their operating company. There's there's lots of reasons for it. Primarily, you know, from a liability standpoint, right? Something happens to the operating company. Um, heaven forbid, where you know they're yeah. in a lawsuit. It's it's protected, right? That asset that in the that investment property, that that real estate, whatever that holding is in a holding company, and also um, there's the tax advantages right where that operating company is going to pay rent to the holding company and then there's that write down in in both companies of you know amortization and then the rent goes flows through and then as lenders we just cross guarantee the two um where um that operating company um you know cross guarantees because that cash flow is coming there so it cross guarantees that that debt servicing in that holding company um 
you know, investment properties, we, we, we do qualify a little bit different than owner occupied, owner occupied that we did with your client, our mutual client here. We just calculate their financials, run it through a spreadsheet and show that, that that's their debt payment. Um, and, and, you know, this is what they have available, no different than personal debt servicing that, you know, after everything's paid, this is what's left over. This is what we can service for a investment property. We, it's an income expense statement or rent roll on that property. Um, we calculate exactly what those, that, that rent roll is going to service for the debt. So that property, that in, the income producing real estate, um, whatever that property can service or whatever that property pulls in uh, rent is what we can service for debt on that property. So, you know, it's probably going to come up. People are going to ask like, how much do I need to put down? Well, that all varies on, on the cash flow, um, right. but typically minimum 25%. And then we kind of go from there. And in, in our world, when we're doing life insurance, we, uh, you know, usually will write a letter uh, to the underwriter. So I know you have underwriters too for, for debt. We have underwriters for life insurance. So we'd, write a letter, you know, painting a picture of this is the person, this is the scenario, this is their business partner, this is why the business partner doesn't have coverage and he's getting coverage or her, she's getting coverage. So uh, in your world, does that still exist of like the package that a client gives you? Does that help? Is there a little bit of an advantage or could it streamline the process? And, And if so, what what would you recommend as like the top three things that a client should should do to to make it more efficient for them, you, and then the underwriter goes, "Wow, this is a great file. Uh, thank you." And that that ha- you know, I would assume that has to make it better, does it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, no different. You, you know, you talk about painting that picture um, because when we send it to our adjudicator, they don't know. Um, they don't know the client. They don't know that this this conversation, this banter that goes back and forth, even when the furrow comes in. Um, we also, have, you know, your client, our mutual client, they've been they've been running a business for thirty years. That matters too um, because mm-hmm. they've they've stood the test of time. You know, we're in a we're in an interesting time right now. Probably the most interesting that me and you will ever go through. And if they can stand and weather the storm and they come out of this and then, you know, three, four years down the road and we look at their financials and we see, um, wow, they weathered that well, they went through it pretty seamlessly. Um, so that all matters. Um, but the the top three things to answer your question, um, have your financial statements, uh, don't strip the company, meaning like leave, leave some, leave some equity in the company. Um, you know, you'll see at the end of the, at the end of the year, their EBITDA says 150 grand and then they take $145,000 in dividends. And that'll just throw a red flag up that they need to pull that money out to, um, service personal debt. Um, Mm. so if they can leave some equity, some skin in the game in the company so that we don't over leverage it and you know, it's, it's healthy. Um, that's, that's key. That's crucial. Uh, financials, personal statement of affairs. Um, so we'll need to send just a template and, and get some information from the from the client on their personal statement. And then, if it's an income producing property, just have their or, or uh, investment property. We need we'll need their uh, leases up to date. Um, so that's that's ah. crucial to have um, because we're going to make sure those leases uh, are extended for a period of time. If they're all going to expire when we're going into, um, you know, right do an application, then that cash flow might be hurt, right? Um, most, most leases have those options for renewals and most of the time the clients are going to take them. Um, but yeah, to answer well, that. 
Well, thanks, Jay. That's uh, that I really appreciate, and I um, I value your your expertise, and I look forward to uh, hopefully getting uh, other clients uh, to see the light and and get in to see you because you got some good uh, options for them. So, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, Dustin. Thanks. I appreciate it. If you found this episode valuable, share it with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. For more information on anything discussed on this show, visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelled S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts. Thanks for listening.